It's a welcome from me. Good to see you all here this evening. Uh, we're going to be talking about suffering uh, tonight, but we're pressing on with our series from uh, 1 Peter, and we're going to be talking about pain, about struggle, about suffering, about trouble. I don't know which you know, word particularly resonates with you when you think about some of the challenging circumstances in your life, but I'm going to kind of wrap it up in those, those two words, pain or trouble. I don't know if any of you here, uh, when you were younger, or maybe uh, those of you that are parents, do any of you know the story, we're going on a bear hunt? Yes. I don't know if any of you saw it. I missed it at Christmas, but it was televised into a new kind of um, cartoony type thing. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not... Scared, yes, lots of you know it. And uh, it's this family who are off on this bear hunt and on their journey to find this bear, they come across uh, a whole pile of obstacles uh, as they pursue this bear. They, they come across a river and they come across a forest and they come across a snowstorm and they come across some fog and uh, they come across some grass. And each time they come across these obstacles, they're kind of greeted with them. And then as a family... They acknowledge the obstacle in front of them. So say it's the forest, it's, oh no, there's a forest, a deep, dark forest. And then there's this little refrain. Do you know it? Oh no, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. And uh, this little refrain, it was one of our kids' favorite books. Tim knew it off by heart. He could do the parts. He could play every character in the book. Uh, You know, say the whole thing with his eyes closed because it was one of their favorite stories. I absolutely love it. And it might be uh, a children's story that we love and has captured our hearts through the through the kind of TV production that was on at Christmas. But actually, I think it's got a really profound message in it. It's got a really powerful little message in it. We're all on a journey. We may not be going on a bear hunt, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm not on a bear hunt, but I am on a journey through life. I'm on a journey through life with Jesus for more of the life that he offers, for the life of adventure, for the life into the promised land, for the life in its fullness that he promises me in John 10. And I know that many of us here are on that journey with him through life together. Even if we're not doing that journey with him, we are on a journey, aren't we? through this life, from the cradle to the grave. We're on a journey. And on this journey called life, on this journey through life, stuff happens. We meet swirling, whirling snowstorms. We find deep, dark forests. We find kind of patches of thick, oozy mud uh, in front of us, and so on. And in the words of the bear hunt, more often than not, We can't go over them. We can't go under them. Oh no, we've got to go through them. And uh, the issue of trouble and the experience of pain is one which affects every single human being. Every single one of us have those moments, have those seasons, have those times in life when it's, oh no, I can't go over it. I can't go under it. I've got to go through it. And of course, the snowstorms and the dark forests and the patches of thick oozy mud and the patches of fog that threaten to throw us completely off course, they come in different shapes and sizes, don't they? There are small ones that we get through pretty quickly and then there are bigger ones that take us an awful lot longer. I could tell you about a friend of mine who lost her child 
a week after that baby was born. I could tell you another, about another friend who is still walking through the fog and the ache of childlessness. I could tell you about a friend who was abused repeatedly as a child. I could tell you about another uh, friend who is still walking through the sort of long valley and the long ache of being single. I could tell you about a friend whose life was torn apart through a really messy separation and divorce of parents who split up. I could tell you about another friend who came home from school one day, aged 11, to discover that both parents had abandoned them and walked off out of his life. I could tell you about all kinds of friends with all kinds of really challenging, painful experiences to their name. And I know that you could tell me similar stories about your own friends, about your own family members, maybe even from your own life. Of course, as I've said, these things happen, these things come to us, these things end up facing us on different scales. And our struggles, uh, depending on the size of these things, might be different. But the truth remains. We all face times of difficulty. We all face challenges. We all know what it is to experience pain. I could tell you about some of the tears that I've cried just this week and what I was crying for. I'm sure some of you in this room this evening could do the same. I think maybe if we had an open mic here and we said, let's share some stories of our struggles and our pain and the experiences we would rather not have had, I think we could all come up and share something. And I think we might be here till tomorrow morning. Look at the person next to you. Have a good look at the person next to you. You may not know them very well. You may know them very well. You may know a lot about them, you may not know very much about them, but this I can tell you. They know, the person next to you, knows what it's like to feel pain. The person next to you knows what it's like to struggle in life. The person next to you knows what it's like to face trouble to one degree or another. We all share that in common. And contrary to some fairly popular charismatic perspectives in the Christian church, Jesus did not promise us if we sign up to life with him, if we sign up to friendship with him, if we sign up to relationship with him, he did not promise us immunity from pain. He is not a get out of pain, get out of trouble sort of card or ticket that we can carry around in our pockets. Sadly, I have to say, because I'd love that to be true. But he, has, he did not promise us that we would avoid trouble if we followed him. Actually, he said the opposite, didn't he? In this world, we will have trouble. What he's really saying is, do you know what, guys? You can't go over it. You can't go under it. Oh, no. You've got to go through it. Peter, this chap who wrote this book, that we're looking at at the moment. He was one of the friends who was standing in front of Jesus when Jesus uttered those very words. He actually heard Jesus say, guys, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And in this letter that we're looking at, he acknowledges the fact that, yep, we've got to go through it. 
at different times in our lives. And there are all kinds of passages in this book that he wrote that we could read about the issue of suffering and trouble and struggle. Actually, he writes about it more in his book than any other um, of the books in the New Testament. So instead of looking at all the passages which would take us the rest of the time we've got together to read, I'm just going to pick out two verses that show up in the first chapter of Peter, which kind of is Peter's headline about struggle, suffering, trouble, trials, pain, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, In chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, Peter says this. So be truly glad. Interesting beginning. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. I love the way he talks about us on earth. The going is rough for a while down here. These trials, so he's talking to the people that are reading this letter, he's assuming that, oh no, they're going through it. And he's saying, these trials, they're only to test your faith, to see whether or not it's strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it'll bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day of his return, of Jesus' return. And I love this little passage. I'm somebody, I love pictures, I love metaphors, I love picture language, and there's some of it in this. And whilst I don't love the fact that Peter's going, oh no, you're going to go through it, you can't go over it, you can't go around it, I love what he's saying here. Because what he's really saying here is this, and this is my paraphrase of it, there is gain in pain. There is purpose in pain. Pain is not wasted. Trouble has the power to transform you and to transform me. We can be transformed by trouble. We can be changed by the challenges that face it. It face us in God's hands, and that is a key. The trials, you know, that's his word for all of this, you know, difficulty, whatever. The trials that we face, they're able to transform you and me and leave us in a better place, better off than before we face them. They have the power to transform, to change, to enhance our experience of God, our experience of life, our experience of his grace, our experience of his love, our relationship with him, and the, the, the sort of element and the quantity and the, the nature of heaven's resources that flow into us through our relationship with him because of what it does to our faith. And I don't know about you, but some of the most beautiful people, Christians, that I know, some of the most consistent, some of the most loyal, some of those with the most inspiring faith and the most incredible experiences over the long term of of the love and the consistency and the faithfulness of Jesus, do you know how they've become like that? They've become like that because, oh no, they've had to go through it. And it's been going through particular troubles, trials, tests, difficulty, whatever you want to call it, that they have been transformed. Look at the metaphor Peter uses in this passage. He talks about gold being purified in a fire. He talks about the way that gold is refined in a fire. Now, some of you will know this, that in ancient times... 
gold used to be refined literally in a fire. And the refiner who wanted to kind of purify his gold, and every time gold was purified and made more and more pure, its value would increase, the refiner would take his bit of gold that he wanted to purify and he'd put it in a little thing called a crucible. And then this refiner would put his crucible in the fire and start vamping up the heat, making the fire hotter and hotter. And of course, to begin with, the metal melts. So the kind of gold goes all gooey and melty and looks like it's falling apart, which is probably how we feel, you know, when we're being stretched, when we're in pain, when we're facing trouble. And as the heat goes up, the impurities and the dross in the gold that actually reduces its value, it begins to bubble up to the surface as the gold has become liquid. And so this dross, the impurities in the gold, they, they bubble up to the surface of the gold and the refiner is sitting there and he takes his, I don't know what the, um, somebody might be able to tell me, but I don't know what the official term for it is, but he takes his kind of sieve thing and scoops off the impurities that have risen up to the top of the gold. And he keeps doing that until all of the impurities have been removed. And then he takes the gold out of the fire and the gold goes, go, goes solid, it goes hard as the temperature goes down again. But it is much, much, much more valuable because the impurities have been removed. And the, 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 the way he knows, the way he knows that the process of purification is finished is because he looks in the liquid gold that's in his crucible. And if he can see a reflection of his face, he knows that the process is complete. It's a beautiful metaphor that Peter is using here. And what's he saying? What's this metaphor saying? What's he using it to illustrate? He's saying that your faith and my faith is more precious to God than gold. Now, we have things like bitcoins today and all kinds of other precious metals. But when Peter was writing this book, gold was the most precious thing on earth known to man. So Peter has picked the most precious, valuable commodity on the face of the earth to use as his illustration. And he's saying, guys, your faith is more precious to God than the most precious thing on earth. Your capacity to trust him, your capacity to trust him, to put your faith in him, to hold on to him, to not let go of him, to believe that he's for you, to believe that he's good, to believe that he's with you, all of that, that is more precious to God than anything else on the face of this earth. Faith is like a magnet. The Bible tells us that we live by faith. Faith is like a magnet and all of heaven's resources, all the things that God wants to pour into our life, all of the provision of grace and his goodness and his love and everything else, it comes to us by faith. We don't earn anything by our good works. We can never go to God and say, I deserve this from you. You owe me this. Everything we get from heaven is grace. It comes because God is good. And we can only receive anything and everything that God wants to give us through faith. So our faith, your faith is really precious to God. It's really precious to God and he's committed to growing your faith so that you can receive more of what heaven wants to pour into your life. So that you can know him more closely. So that you can walk with him more intimately. So that you can carry his power and his presence more fully to those around you. He's so completely committed to our faith. And since we're still on earth 
and we have trouble on this earth, Jesus said that we would do. He's decided to use that trouble to grow our faith. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, take heart, I've overcome the world. You will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. And that's what he did on the cross, wasn't it? He overcame pain. You know, as he was being crucified, he surrendered to pain. You know, he gave in to the the most intense pain and the most intense suffering. Anything that you could ever suffer, anything that I could ever experience, Jesus experienced on the cross and more. And in giving in to the pain on the cross... He overcame it. He basically took pain on, as it were, defeated the power of pain so that from then on he could use pain in our lives to bring good to us. Pain no longer needs to destroy. It no longer needs to devastate us. God can use pain for good. And so that's what he's chosen to do while we live on this earth. While we live on this earth, there will be trouble. There will be many times where we go, oh no, we've got to go through it. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God has decided to use that pain, use that trouble for our good, to do something in us and through us and with our face as we go. Trouble, pain, difficulty, struggle, whatever you call it, put into his hands, can be used for our good and for our destiny, not for our destruction. And that's what Peter's saying here. Just as gold is made more precious, more valuable in the intensity of fire, so our face, our connection with him, our character, our hearts can be made more, more beautiful, more strong, more trusting in the pain of fire if we let him use it in that way. Because what happens in the fire is pressure, isn't it? It's pressure. And when we're under pressure, stuff comes up in our hearts, doesn't it? You notice that? You know, stuff comes out of our mouths. We start doing things. We start saying things that maybe we put down to stress. Oh, I'm just doing that. I'm saying that because I'm stressed or whatever. When we're going through difficulty, when we're we're sort of in the flames, as it were. But actually, we only get to see in the flames what's really there. And that's when we're vulnerable, in a sense, to the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit, if we will turn to God and allow him to do his work in our hearts. Times of trial and trouble are when God can deal with some of the dross in our hearts and our faith that prevent us becoming the people that we want to be and having the kind of relationship with him that we want to have. Here's the amazing thing about the refiner. Do you know when the refiner is sitting over his crucible of gold and the heat is up and the gold is melting and this process of refining is going on, do you know he never, ever leaves the fire? Because if the fire overheats by a mere fraction, the gold will be destroyed. And Peter knows exactly what he's saying here. He understands what people will interpret of those times, knowing how that gold was refined. He knew what they would understand by this. And the picture is that no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult, how testing, how painful it is, God never leaves us. He never leaves us. 
He's watching. He's with us. You know, there's that beautiful story, isn't it? They're in um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they go into the fire. They're in the fire. And the people around see four people in the fire, not three. God is with us. He's watching over us, and he's in the fire with us all at the same time because that's who he is, and that's how much he loves us. And no matter what we go through, when we go through it, how intense the heat, the refiner is always with us. So for me, since trouble is a kind of an inevitability, Jesus promised it. We live on earth, and earth is in trouble, isn't it? You know, I think, you know, even the events of this last week and the, the mayhem around them and the stuff, you know, the, the division in our nation and the stuff that kind of comes out of us at times like this, you know, it just illustrates again, doesn't it? Our world is in trouble. And do you know what? Politicians can't solve it. I hope we know that here this evening. We feel very strongly about our politicians and things like that. But Jesus is the one who has the answer to the problems of our nation as well as, as our own you know, problems ourselves. Our world is in trouble and there is trouble in our world. And we are going to have to go through stuff. So the, the question for me, the real question is, well, if, we've, if I've got to go through it, if I've, oh no, I've got to go through it. The question for me then is how? How do I go through stuff? How can we go through trouble so that we can gain from our pain? So that we can be transformed by trouble rather than just come out the other side the same way that we went into it. For me, that's the most significant question about this. And that's the question I'm going to answer very simply this evening with two simple words. And Peter gives us a clue in the passage. He starts off by saying, be glad. Now, I think that's a really counterintuitive thing to say, don't you? Be glad. Cheer up. Be joyful. Be happy. Because you're going through all kinds of difficulty and trials. Is that your normal response to somebody when they're sharing their heart with you and telling you how difficult stuff is and, you know, really wanting empathy and sympathy from you? Is that your normal response? Cheer up. I should think if it is, you probably get a poke in your eye from, you know, those friends or those people who are sharing their hearts with you. But actually, there's a principle here. There's a principle here that is repeated over and over again in the New Testament about the power of something that I think Peter is alluding to because there are certain words in the New Testament that are kind of used interchangeably and mixed up and, and mixed around in different ways. So I want to rephrase it. Instead of being glad, there's a part of me that goes, I don't know what being glad you know, looks like. How do I just be glad? But it's used interchangeably with the phrase in the New Testament, give thanks. And so actually, I'm going to say it's, it's the ability to give thanks when we walk through difficulty, when we walk through trouble, when we're in the fire, when we're feeling pain and facing pain that positions us to be touched, to be transformed, to be blessed by the refiner, which is what we want, isn't it? If we've got to go through this stuff, give thanks. Yeah, it's a different way of saying what Peter says in verse 6. We're talking about, in this series, building up our core strength. Well, I think one of the most difficult weights to lift, you know, as it were, if you're in the spiritual gym, is giving thanks when you're in pain. Giving thanks when you're in trouble. Giving thanks when you would give your back teeth to change the circumstance you're in. But actually, if, if that's a spiritual discipline and a spiritual activity that we are willing to commit to regularly, 
do you know what? Our core becomes incredibly strong. And we become incredibly resilient people that can carry hope and faith, not only into our difficulties and our situations, but the lives of others when they are facing, you know, the snowstorm, the river, the deep, dark forest. I don't know about you, but when I'm really in trouble, when I'm really feeling it, when I'm crying out to God because I'm in deep pain, I want people to come alongside me who are, who are empathetic and compassionate, absolutely. But I also want people to come alongside me who've got faith, who can ignite my expectation that God's going to be good to me. That God's got a purpose in this. That God's going to use it for my future. That God hasn't finished with me yet. That God's got plans for me. That God's taking me towards his destiny for me. Well, we can't bring that into someone else's life if we don't have it in our own life. And we get it in our own life by lifting that weight, as it were, of thanksgiving, particularly when we're going through trouble. It's counterintuitive. It's absolutely counterintuitive. But what does Paul say in a slightly different way in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? He says... Pray continually. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. There's no caveat to that. There's no kind of except when you don't feel like it. Or in all circumstances, except when it's really, really, really hard. Or except when you've been betrayed. Or except when you've suffered an injustice. Or except when you've been rejected. Or except when the person, you know, who's wounded you hasn't apologised. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And do you know what he then goes on to say? For this is God's will for you. When we're in the fire, when you're experiencing pain, when I'm crying out to God to change my circumstances, to answer me, to do something... Paul says, God's will for you in that moment, Hills, is to give thanks. Not to give thanks for what you're going through, but to give thanks in the place that you are, as it were. And I'll be honest and say, I find this really hard. I find this really hard. I am not somebody who was born saying thank you to everybody around me and God for everything. You know, even good in my life, let alone the stuff that I don't like. You know, I can't say I'm naturally, you know, or grew up as a naturally grateful person. I can remember a particular time in my life where I was moaning away, moaning away, moaning away to God about all these things in my life, my prayer list, none of the stuff that he'd answered, sobbing my heart out. I, was, I think I was really trying to get God to feel sorry for me, actually. <laughs> I think I was, think, I was trying to move him with pity, you know, to rise up and do something, you know, to break through. And there was this little voice that said, and I know it was the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he said, you know, I said, God, why don't you speak to me? Why don't I feel your presence? And, you know, none of that stuff. And this little voice, and it was the voice of the Holy Spirit, said to me, just start thanking me, Hills. And I said to him, Lord, look at this, look at this, look at this, and you haven't done anything. And he said, start thanking me. And I'm ashamed to say, I couldn't think of a single thing to thank him for. I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed to tell you that in that moment, I was so consumed with my pain and my difficulty and my trouble that I couldn't think of a single thing to thank him for. But I knew it was him. 
Because when God tells you to do something, you know in your heart you can actually do it. I knew it was him. So I sat there and I just thought, what can I be thankful for? And I, you know, suddenly remembered I had children. (laughs) So I said, thank you for my children, Lord. And there was a pause. And then I remembered I had a husband who hadn't done anything wrong that day. So... (laughs) So I said, thank you, Lord, for my husband. And it was a real effort. But the more... I found to thank him for and some incredibly basic things. That's, you know, I was in such a bad place the more I could see to thank him for. And it set off a chain reaction in my heart and my mind that just, you know, was like dominoes that went down. And, you know, 20 minutes later, I felt completely different and I was in a completely different place. There is something incredibly powerful about thanking God when we're in pain. Not for our pain, but when we're in pain. And I want to say very briefly, three things about the power of giving thanks when we're in pain. The first thing, as I've just illustrated, is that giving thanks to God connects us to his presence. You know, when do we most need to know his presence? When we're in pain. When does it most feel like he's abandoned us? Well, if you're me, it's when I'm in pain. But the Bible says in Psalm 100 that we enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise. When we want to know the presence of God and come into the presence of God, we start with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving connects us to the presence of God. That's what happened to me when I started thanking God. He felt nearer and nearer and closer and closer and I began to engage with his love. You know, when difficult times come along, they stop us. Our our kind of thanksgiving dries up, doesn't it? Because we're so focused on the stuff that we want God to change. We need to be quick to thank him or to work at thanking him when we're really struggling because thanksgiving connects us to his presence. The second thing it does is it keeps us connected to his promises. Again, I don't know about you, but I lose sight of the promises of God so easily when I'm wrestling, you know, with the issue that I want God to change or I want him to break through. I start, fo- well, I do, I focus on this thing and that's not a wrong thing. But if I lose sight of the promises of God, you know, I'm open to all kinds of other lies and deceit from the enemy about who God is and how much he cares about me and loves me. Giving thanks keeps us connected to the promises of God. It's like a torch. It's like turning on a torch in the dark and, lo- and finding the things that you've lost. You know, what are the promises of God that you go to when you're in trouble, when you're struggling, when you're in pain. I want to flag up one that I think if you don't know this promise by heart, I want to encourage you to go home and learn it this evening, this week. And it's Romans 8:28. For we know that God works for good in all things for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That is a phenomenal promise. It's the most incredible promise being made to each one of us if we love him and we've been called according to his purpose. That he will work for good in all situations. Doesn't say he causes all situations. He doesn't say all situations are good. God doesn't cause the stuff that we go through. Half the time we cause it. He's given us the freedom to make choices and a lot of us make a lot of stupid choices. And actually our choices affect our own lives and they affect the lives of others. 
But God is so phenomenal. He will use anything and everything, whether it's good or bad. He's like a master chef. He will use everything and work it into our lives and into our hearts and into our faith for good if we love him and we've been called according to his purpose. Learn that promise. It's like a torch in the dark when you are wrestling and struggling with pain. It's something to thank him for. It's one of my go-to things when I need to thank God when I'm struggling. I thank you that this is true, that you'll use what I'm going through for good, for my good, because that's who you are. So thanking God, giving thanks, it connects us to his presence. It keeps us connected to his promises and it keeps us open to his power. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling, when I'm in the fire, that's one of the things I cry out for. God, send your power, do something, come, help, intervene. The psalm I was reading this morning, David says three times, come quickly, come quickly, Lord, come quickly. Well, giving thanks keeps us open to the power of God. There's a precious verse in um, Psalm 50, verse 23, that says this. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me. Do you know what a sacrifice is? Something you don't want to do. So that just means he who gives thanks when she, he doesn't feel like it, when it's really hard. It says he honors me and prepares the way that I may show him the salvation of my God. There's a truth hidden in this verse, that when we thank God, and it costs us to do that, we prepare the way for God to move in power. The story of the 10 lepers, Andrew mentioned it earlier. 10 lepers got healed. They came to Jesus and they got healed. And then they buzzed off. And a few hours later, only one of them came back to thank Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Jesus said to this guy, well, where are the other nine? I thought I healed 10 of you. And the other the guy didn't know. But the Bible says it, he fell on the floor and thanked Jesus. Well, Jesus had healed him of leprosy. But what the text says next is this. Jesus said to him, your faith has saved you. So he got healed of leprosy He came back to Jesus to say, thank you. The other nine didn't. And then he got saved. He got something else when he came back to thank Jesus. And a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice, a choice to thank God, to thank Jesus when we don't feel like it, but we will because he is good And his promises are amazing. And he's with us even though it doesn't feel like it. It keeps us open to his power, to what he wants to do next, to the way he wants to come in and save us. And by saying that we need to press into, we need to lift that weight of giving thanks when we're in pain, when we're struggling, when we're wrestling, I'm not saying we shouldn't be real. You know, we say this a lot here. You know me, I can't bear denial. You know, when we go around saying things, everything's fine, everything's great, when actually it's not. I'm not talking about living in denial. You know, it's really important to be real about the stuff that we're struggling with. But if you read the Psalms, David modeled it brilliantly. He said, life is tough. God, my enemies are against me. My bones are wasting. This is really hard. I've been crying all night. My eyes are all puffy. But, he always says, but, I thank you, God. Because you're going to save me. I thank you, God, 
because you're good. I thank you for what you've done in the past. I thank you for what you're going to do in the future. He has those two things, reality about the struggle and thankfulness, giving thanks to his God alongside. And we know what God did in the life of David. The fire, the troubles, the difficulty, the pain they experienced. Oh, God used it so powerfully to prepare him for what lay ahead of him to deepen his relationship with God, to broaden his experience of the mercy, the generosity, the goodness of God. David came out of those trials richer, so much richer. He had so much more of God because of them, but he kept his heart open to God in the fire. And he was a man who could do the reality of trouble, the reality of pain, the reality of difficulty alongside a commitment to give thanks, to give thanks, to give thanks, keeping him connected to the presence of God, to the promise of God, and ultimately open to the power of God. Oh no, oh no, we've got to go through it. But you know, if we go through our troubles and our trials and we're willing to commit to continually lifting the weight of giving thanks, do you know what? We too will come out of them richer, richer in so many ways. And I don't know about you, but that's what I long for. Why don't we stand?